What's up, guys? Welcome to the Athlete's Edge. We are excited to bring you week two of the Leadership Academy 2020. This year, we are going over Jeff Jansen's The Teammates Accountability Manual for our Leadership Academy. You guys can pick that up on Amazon. I'm joined again today by Coach Sarah Burlingame, and we are going to dive right in. Thanks for joining us. Hey there, guys. We are excited to be getting into week two of our Leadership Academy. We are diving into Jeff Jansen's book, The Teammates Accountability Manual. This is our second year going through Jeff Jansen's books for our Leadership Academy, and we are excited to get into week two. Just like week one, I have Coach Sarah Burlingame, also known as Coach Gooey, on with me. So excited to be here. And we are excited to get right into it. This week is all about recognizing your ripple effect. And by your ripple effect, that means realizing that when you are a part of a team, your actions will affect everyone around you, your teammates, your coaches, the community at large. And the way you choose to act, the way you choose to represent yourself and your team will have an impact on far more people than just yourself. All right, Katie. Excited to be here, excited to dive in. The, uh, the module opens up with a quote by Mia Hamm. I'm a member of a team and I rely on the team. I defer to it and sacrifice for it. Because the team, not the individual, is the ultimate champion. And uh, I think that's what it comes down to is really understanding that even at the highest level, one of the most renowned athletes in sports is still deferring to the team. I think that's a really important concept for athletes at a young age to understand is that when we are a part of a team, we have to give up certain liberties and freedoms. And uh, whether it's around the team mission or vision, or like we talked about last week, rocking a role within that team, uh, it's an important part of being the best teammate that you can possibly be. And that's something, one of the first things they dive into is this idea that when you are a part of the team, it's not all about you. So contrary to an individual sport where maybe your times matter only to you and your progress towards a goal, whether that's advancement uh, in tournament play or advancement in national rankings, when you play on a team, it's not all about you. And your actions will have effects that go far beyond things that just you're doing. Uh, so one of the things they talk about is to be an accountable teammate, you have to respect the fact that it's not about you and that it's not about your stats, your playing time, your role, your mood. They highlight to talk about this idea of it's not all about you, the idea that we is greater than me. And Coach Gooey, I'm curious to know, what kind of situations you've had where an athlete really embodied that idea of we, the team, is better than me, the individual? It's a pretty easy one because I coached a great, awesome high school team last year in 2019. In fact, we were just watching some of those great players now really successful in college. And when I think about a phrase that I said most often, we studied this uh, book as a team. And from a coach's perspective, it's such a great resource to help you frame what you want to talk to your athletes about. And I've done this, this particular uh, series for years. And the phrase that I think I said the most last year was, if you can influence it, you're responsible for it. And when I think back to my 2019 team last year, those kids, the leadership on that team and the responsibility that they felt for all the kids on their team was deep and immense. So 
where that group of athletes knew and understood that in order to, for every kid to feel that they were a contributing member of the team on game day, in certain situations, if they could get the score to a place where backups could come in off the bench, they were responsible for that. So could they influence somebody else's playing time, right? That's a big one. It's about team. It's not all about you. So for our team last year, there was never a moment where we said, okay, number 42, your job is to score the most goals in this game. It was, hey, starters, it is your responsibility to put us in a place where other kids can get playing time. And that's that whole embodiment of we versus me. And, and wow, did we feel it last year? And I think it, it even went deeper than that. Because again, if we say, if you can influence it, you're responsible for it. It's as simple as showing up every day and smiling. We talked about it last week that you can be a positive dose of vitamin C and you can influence subtly the vibe of the practice on a rainy day, the vibe of your teammates, just making people feel welcome. So it's as simple as a smile and as complicated and complex as working your tail off to get other people in the game. I love that you talked about your team that was really bought into how can we work really hard to give our substitutes and the players who typically spend more time on the bench an opportunity to get on the field? And how can we serve them, even though that may mean we are scoring far fewer goals individually by giving those players an opportunity? It can be especially challenging when you know that things like All-American and All-Conference are largely dependent on stats. And it's easy to see how a player could be caught up in, well, I don't want to be off the field because in this game that's a blowout, my opportunity to score 10 goals this game really helps me become closer to All-American versus saying, okay, we're really crushing this team. I can give my friend who is a like substitute player, who's one of the last players in, an opportunity to see field time where they may not get it, even if that means that I may not pump quite as many goals against a weaker opponent. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's a it's a big pill to swallow, I think. Um, and, and a reality. I really think that there's a reality of, of teams and coaches or programs that lose perspective on what does it mean to be an All-American. An All-American absolutely should be someone who can not only perform her best, but makes the, the players around her better. Um, so she can, she's an attacker, dodge against the top opponents at will, or if she's a defender, take away the ball from the top opponents at will. I think it comes down to that more than stats. And uh, there's definitely an education component to how we can evaluate athletes. It was something that we built actually for years. And I coached high school for 17 years. And for some of those years, we scared a lot of stats so that kids could understand what they're responsible for. So there's the balance of, hey, you're an attacker and you have no points on the board. What are you doing out there? And you're a defender and you have no ground balls or no knockdowns. So what's going on? You're a draw control kid. Where are your possessions? So there's the balance of that, what you're responsible for statistically, because obviously we need that. And then there's the, I need to get more goals for me. And that's a really massive topic we're diving into that, you know, it is bigger than you. And for us to do something great together, you really have to give up that idea of it's about me. That's a, it's, a, it's a tough balance. And I, I think that, uh, boy, when it works and your athletes can see and feel the end of that, right, that you make it to a state championship game or you win a first district championship, that it's very validating. But 
boy, there are a lot of years where we still had that selfless me versus we attitude and, and we didn't have that result. So that's, that's a challenging one and uh, important one to any kind of great culture building. And that's one kind of challenge. What are some other kind of challenges that you'll see uh, players, coaches, even fans run into in that idea of we is greater than me? Well, I'm a parent also, right? And uh, I have the perspective of what is it like to, to watch your kid go through hard things or to watch your kid set goals and maybe fall short or to watch your kid set a goal and their goal had to do with a stat that they weren't able to be involved with either because of the game plan or the personnel in the field or, you know, whatever circumstance went around that particular game. And I think that's where it comes down to really understanding your controllables. So we talked about that last week, like you have to control your controllables. You have to have trust in your teammates and your coaches. You also, we talked about today, coach Katie and I uh, were lucky enough to coach together today. And we talked about trusting the process. So really understanding here's where we are today. Here's where we want to go that let's not really get on the roller coaster of this game or this week. Let's really stay fixated on what we want to see throughout this journey together, this season, over the next five years. Really understanding that perspective is really, really important. So back to your question of where do I see it with fans? Sometimes I think the fans get on that, you know, parents and fans. Again, I will say I've been one as a parent. They really get on that like highs and lows and not understanding the process of what it takes. It's bigger than one kid on the field. Yes, it's a, it's a tough one to balance. And I think it's important for players to recognize who you're accountable to. So it's something that would be great if you are a player for you to ask yourself, who am I accountable to? And you'll start pretty quickly and you'll have a couple pretty easy answers. And it may be, you know, I'm accountable to myself. And then you say, okay, well, I'm accountable to my parents. I'm accountable to my teammates. I'm accountable to my teachers. And then you start diving into things and you start to realize just how many people you're accountable to when you start to realize, oh, there's a younger player who always practices at the same field at the same time that I'm practicing. You might be accountable to her. She's watching your actions as an older player and thinking, okay, that's what's allowed. That's what's expected. That's what's okay. So realizing that, whether you realize they're watching or not, everyone who's in your circle, you are accountable to because your actions can affect their actions and can affect their beliefs. So if you miss a basket and your first thought to do is to go walk off the court, kick a trash can, what is the little kid who's in the stands watching you who thinks of you as their hero thinking? In that moment, if you were to think, okay, I'm accountable to them, you walk off, you're composed, you take a reset breath, and then you say, coach, okay, I'm ready to go back in now. And coach, I mean, for those of us that, that play for, you know, championship programs, right? If you're lucky enough to wear Duke or, you know, an amazing championship legacy athletic program, you are responsible to all the giants that built that program and all the little guys, like you just said. So it's as big as standing on the shoulders of giants and as little as understanding that, the giant, the next giant is the little kid that's watching you practice. So I think that's taking that 10,000 foot approach, that view, really zooming out 
to understand the bigger picture. I want to go back actually to, to what we talked about when we've seen it work and trusting the process, really understanding that on a day-to-day basis, if you scored the most goals in a game, that may be great for that game where you scored and padded your stats against a lesser opponent. But if your true goal is to be great, you have to be a great team together and know we talked about lacrosse, so it's different from basketball or five on five. In women's lacrosse, we're 12 on 12. So there is no phenomenal lacrosse team that's getting beat by one player. Uh, but if you choose that self-centered approach of, I need to score the most goals to get this All-American, you're losing sight of what really great players do and what really great teams do. And you're going to get stopped at some point when there's, you know, if you're one against 12, when, you know, there's a, the whole team and a whole team working against you, I guess I would say. So back to that thousand foot approach is, yeah, maybe it feels good to score the most goals on one day. And maybe it feels good to pad your stats a little bit, but we take that 10,000 foot approach and we understand, hey, I really want to do something great as a group. I really want for my teammates, for us to win this championship. It really gives us a different view. And that approach and that recognition of Really, that idea, the name on the front is so much more important than the name on the back of your jersey is really something that we hope all players would, at some point in their careers, think to themselves, wow, how many people wore this number before me? How many people wore this jersey before me who made this team what it is and what I got to come into? Uh, One of the things I love is actually the story of John Wooden. Because for years, they were in the men's basketball gym. It wasn't an amazing gym. It wasn't an outstanding facility over at UCLA for men's basketball. But every year, that team busted their butts. They worked super consistently. They worked super hard. They stayed committed to the process. And they won national championships while they were working out in the normal student body's gym. You know, they were working out in that gymnasium. They didn't have amazing facilities. They had to go to a local high school for their games because there weren't even bleachers, you know, they really had to embody and work and buy into the process. And now they have an amazing stadium and they have all of these national titles. But if you're a player who's playing there now, you have to recognize that you are standing on the shoulders of every player who came before them, who put in the work, who put in the sweat, who got that team to where it is now as a powerhouse. And So in the book, they have a great quote, and it's a Chinese proverb, and it says, those who drink the water must remember who dug the well. And that's something I really love because you come into any situation, whether that's a new school or that's a new team, and you have to remember the people who were there before you did a lot of work to make it become what it is now. Yeah, we talked about that a lot um, with my high school team, and it was really the perspective of who got you where you are today. And I think it brings up some of our physiology. So when we are in that place of gratitude, that's the same as happiness. It's that same endorphin and uh, hormonal state as all of that. There's so many studies right now on fear versus everything else, which is gratitude, happiness, creativity. And when we're in that place, um, all these options open up to us. So if we have part of our practice mentally is I have perspective of why I'm here and what it took to get here. And we go into that place of gratitude. It actually gives us more creativity as an athlete. 
it gives us a different hormonal level from what to, which to execute. It actually invigorates us versus a fight or flight, which would give us two options, fight or run away. And uh, if you want to be the best, most creative athlete and as close to the zone, that performance zone as you can, it's really important to understand how your thoughts really affect your performance. And this is a, a sounds like a simple trick, but not only does it help you acknowledge everything that got you where you are today, people appreciate that, but it puts you in that creative state. So again, when we talk about that balance of self-centeredness and giving, some of the things we do that positively impacts others can be for selfish purposes, and it has a ripple effect of positivity. It's like that positive dose of vitamin C, Joan Gordon talks about showing up with a smile, and you really become a different person on the field. So those are those are important things to, to um, stay tapped into. And back to the quote you started with, those who drink the water must remember who dug the well. So it's that big picture view of, of how did you get here? The big picture view, and it's also, you know, like you said, that kid who shows up to practice. And every time that kid shows up to practice, they show up, they've got a smile on their face, and your mood brightens just by having them there. Uh, Jeff Jansen uses a pond analogy. And what he says is when you toss a rock into the pond, every action you have is going to create a ripple across your team in small and large ways. And it's important for us to be aware of that because if I show up to practice and my attitude is upbeat, it's excited, I can't wait, I'm going to have a great day, I hope you're having a great day, it's very different than showing up to practice and going, I'm late, my cleats are still wet, I had a horrible test, I didn't eat breakfast, lunch was terrible, I didn't sleep well. And that ripple effect that you send off with your attitude is going to affect everyone else who's there that day. And you have some people who are amazing at they show up and they check in and they are such a positive influence. And it's especially noticeable when those players are out sick or are not practiced because they're in class. And all of a sudden you wonder, why does it feel like there's a rain cloud over practice? And you go, oh, Susie's not here today. She normally brightens everyone's day. So realizing that you as one person can have that power over a team and it doesn't have to come from a leader. It doesn't have to come from a star athlete. It could come from a freshman. It could come from a senior. It could come from someone who sits on the bench every minute of every game or from a starter. And, from a coach. and it could come from a coach. So really recognizing that it doesn't take much for you to have that positive ripple, but it does take you being intentional to have that positive ripple. And I would say that if you are a leader, whether you're named or you act as a leader. You have to take care of business, right? So you got to show up with shoes tied, take care of all those controllables, including my mind space is somewhere that I can execute everything that I'm responsible for. And I can actively produce part of the positive things I'm responsible for. For instance, you said Sally's out that day, right? We got to feel like there's a rain cloud over it. Well, somebody needs to step up and say, oh, we can influence this, so we're responsible for it. If you can influence it, you're responsible for it. So the best leaders are the people, whether, again, like Coach Katie said, you are a freshman through a coach, right? You've been there for, for your first day or your first week, or now you've been with the team for 20 years. If you can influence it, you're responsible for it. And the best leaders, any age, any grade, are those who can control their own controllables and then 
add to the environment of the team, the vibe of the team, the uh, the small connections between teammates, the asking for one more rep, the asking a great question to make sure that you know everybody's on the same page, really being dialed in. So that idea, if you can influence it, you're responsible for it, is an important one. And understanding as your interest in being a leader increases, take care of what we talked about last week, rocking your role. So then that becomes what you do and you can take on responsibility for more. You can either come in with that positive contagious energy or negative toxic energy. And every day that's your choice, whether you are a leader or not. And if you're not a leader and you're wondering to yourself, how can I start to get a bigger role as a leader? Start by being someone who is always there with positive, contagious energy. Those are the people who are likely to naturally attract people behind them. They have this aura about them where other people are, oh, I want to be around them because they have that positive, contagious energy. Moving on, one of the things that I love to think about, and we touched on a little bit earlier, is this idea of big and little eyes on you. So big eyes are your team's alumni, or if you're in college, you're playing professional sports, different donors or sponsors who may be helping your team are those big eyes who are on you, the administration of whatever school you're at. And then the little eyes are kids who are coming to your game, players in the community. And I think that's one of those things that we don't always realize is there are players who emulate us, who want to be like you when you grow up. And you may be thinking, well, I'm just in high school. Why would she want to be like me? But to that little girl who's, you know, in elementary school or middle school, you could be an all-star to her. And she just thinks that the things that you do are the most incredible things she's ever seen done with a lacrosse stick or a soccer ball or a football. So recognizing that those players are looking up to you and Coach Gooey, you played with uh, Team Canada. Certainly, I have to wonder, did you ever have idols growing up and all of a sudden you're on Team Canada and you're looking across the field and you're like, oh my gosh. Oh boy, did I ever. Uh, I feel that my idols and everybody that I looked up to went from being those little eyes. And it was pretty neat growing up in lacrosse in Canada when I did. And in an area, I kind of grew up in a hotbed of lacrosse in Canada and Ontario. And I met with we had a, a, an alumni event this summer, and I got to really hang out with all of those people that we had heard about for years and years and years. And we really knew that we were standing on the shoulders of giants. And meeting those giants um, and hanging out with them this past summer was amazing. And I can think of uh, Carrie Hartle, I remember, was a player that was older than me. And she would throw these behind the back shots. And I was just like, whoa, what can I do to get that behind the back shot? Ultimately, I ended up as a defender and, and didn't develop many opportunities to have a behind the back shot, but it was so inspiring. And she was such a strong woman. Um, and to watch her was just somebody I wanted to be. And I think the interesting part about staying in sports is I think back to my last Team Canada tryout. We can talk about another day, one I didn't make. Uh, but I think about watching Dana Doby, who was younger than me. And she took this draw and just ripped it over her back, ended up up the field, threw a behind-the-back pass, probably 30 yards um, to a teammate upfield. And then another time, took a, took a shot off the goal line, extended just unbelievable craftiness and stick work and speed and poise. And 
I think that's the other side is I'm still looking enamored at players that become a better player. People are watching you and it is, uh, it's your opportunity and responsibility if you take it to represent your name on the front of your jersey, the sport of lacrosse um, as best you can. Earlier when you were talking about little eyes, it made me think of um, me as a coach right now, I'm coaching you six boys. And we were doing our little rotations and there was this big boy that came in, big young man. I was thinking of him as a high school kid. He was such, such a tall little guy, tall, big guy. And I said, hey, would you help us out? It looks like you could be a great role model, you could be a great player. And he was full of positive energy, he was so happy, he was cheering everyone on. And he was having fun with the kids, being playful, really teaching them that a big guy can engage with them. A big guy can be inspiring. A big guy can be playful. A big guy, big guy can teach them. And the kid was in seventh grade. And here I am with these U6 boys. It's a perfect example of you have opportunities all the time to engage and inspire. It's like, it's like Spider-Man says, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> we certainly think of lacrosse as a superpower. And how cool is it that, you know, this 13, 14 year old boy was like, yeah, of course I want to help out. Yeah, I want to help. And I think he told me his little brother was playing. His little brother was playing. So his little brother was playing and, you know, this is an opportunity. It's a big brother and a more experienced athlete. He could have said, meh, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to shoot by myself. Or I'm going to go work on my dodges or do whatever by myself. But he said, no, this is my little brother. This is an amazing connection. And this is a chance for me to even make even more connections with his teammates, with him and to bond with him. And I really thought that was a great message of respecting those connections and going, I have two opportunities here. I can either do something that's going to make me better, or I can do something that's going to help my little brother. That's going to help his old team. And may, maybe I learned something in the process. Maybe I learned a new leadership skill. Maybe I learned something about coaching. Maybe I learned to see the game differently. But he really respected his connections and respected that idea that, no, these kids are important too, just as important as me coming out here and shooting or as me coming out and doing cone work. I think you are always building raving fans or are neutral or are building the opposite of raving fans. And we know from our lacrosse world that it's a very small world. And I'm sure my paths will cross with somebody who knows this young young man, and I'll have the opportunity to tell them this story. We talk to our players about the recruiting process that you're writing your own story. So you show up to a field and you are that positive, contagious energy person. You do what we talked about last week, which is understand your responsibilities and rock your role. You rock your role and you influence all the things that you could influence. That's a very different way to exist on a team than showing up and barely rocking your role and having a negative influence. And I think that like coach just said, that spills over into so many areas of your life and leadership. And one of the things we love to hear about is all the things kids are doing, whether they're becoming refs and giving back to the program, whether they're mentoring and coaching little kids, whether they're on a different team and they have a, a leadership role in another team or even as a bench player on another team. Like one thing that happened to me is I was a pretty terrible volleyball player. I played, I did cross country, I did track, I did basketball, I loved basketball, I thought that was going to be my sport, and I played volleyball, and I was kind of awful at it, and I was a bench player, but it taught me about being a bench player, because I wasn't a bench player in other areas, and it's like something we've been talking about, empathy, 
and understanding that you can empathize with people, understand the perspective that they're coming from and connect with them. That's something that I could not understand previously. And then all of a sudden I was in a position where I could. I'm assuming that in these other sports, the way you most often served your team was in a playing standpoint. So when you are, you know, a big role player or a big role, so you are a star player, a starter, a captain, things like that. Your teammates are looking for you to be a producer on the field. They're looking for you to put numbers in the stat line. And I'm curious in that situation where you are now a bench player and you can't serve your team the way you did before. So you were used to serving a team by putting numbers in the stat line. All of a sudden you can't serve your team by doing that. How did you learn to serve your team differently as someone who was spending more time on the bench? I don't know if I learned the lesson then, honestly. I think um, I learned the lesson of hunger and that translates to what we were talking about earlier where we can talk to players about wanting their bench players to get in as much as they want to play. So I understood that because I had been that player, but I can think of a time that I learned that lesson. So I actually had a really cool opportunity of giving a speech at a school last week for women in sports. And I had to talk about myself. So I talked about all the different sports I played and I framed it around this idea that as much as we want the accolade of the all American, or if you play a certain number of sports and get on national honor society, you will have the kind of resume that will get you to Vanderbilt and Duke and Cornell. But in reality, the reason they want the kids who can do that is because they're the kids who can multitask. They can do multiple things. They can get great grades and be a part of a community and participate in athletics. And athletics is the place where this could happen to you. You could be a great player on a great team and get yanked. So I'm thinking of my last game, U19 World Cup with Team Canada, U19, uh, and I got yanked in the final minutes of that game. We were in a sudden death double overtime match with England. All of a sudden, my job shifted. But it goes back to something that Jeff Jansen talks about at the beginning. The most important thing we have is the mission. And I will never forget the mission of that team. What the mind can conceive, the heart can believe, you can achieve. And at that point, my job shifted. And I could not get a ground ball. I could not mark up on anyone. I could not get a knockdown. I could not positively transition the ball out of our defensive end. I could only cheer. Think about how that impacted my going on to play at Cornell and, and probably being a captain there. I think this actually did transition in perspective um, was the fact that I've already been on the bench. I know I'm hungry. And I know how important that role was in that game to cheer my teammates on. So we have roles. And just because you're given, like we talked about last week, a role that you don't want, doesn't mean that there should ever be an excuse that's valid that says, eh, I'm not going to do it. So I get yanked from the game. Yep. I have to have a mistake ritual. I get off. I squeeze my water bottle. I put my smiley face on and I cheer as much as I possibly can, because that's the only thing I can control at that point. That was a big lesson. Um, and I think a hard one at the time, but in perspective, I think it helped me do a lot of bigger things in life. And it sounds like it really helped you to recognize, okay, my role was this. And now for the last three minutes of this game, my role has changed. And whether I like it or not, I do have to respect that it's my role. I can't look at my teammate who's now in the field and go, well, I should be on there instead of her. 
my only job right now is cheer my butt off for this girl who's on the field because our team depends on it. And I think sometimes that can be really challenging for players, understandably so, of they went from this big role to, in their mind, a smaller, less important role in one shift in three words from their coach of get off the field, it's four words, um, but realizing that that role is still important and that girl who's on the field, instead of you, still needs your support, still needs your respect, still needs to do the job well if the team's going to be successful. I mean, think about that for a minute. Our mission statement is something that I will never forget. 23 years later, I can still tell you the quote that we all wrote down to ourselves, mailed to ourselves, and I wish I still had it. I had it on my wall for years, but understanding that we had a dream. It was the first U19 World Cup, and we were out to prove something. We had a mission, we had a dream, and we were all working for it. It was not about me. And what a gift that my coaches gave us that they could bring the team together like that. When we talk about players filling a different role, those roles change, they shift. One of the things we want to talk about now is recognizing that beyond the players, beyond the players on the field, beyond the players off the field who are on the sideline, beyond the coaches, there's so many people who play a role in you being able to go out and play the sport that you love. So that can be athletic trainers, team managers, sports information staff, people who are managing your facilities, even equipment managers who are putting in orders, making sure gear arrives on time, it's labeled correctly, it's got the going to the right person. Your bus drivers. Your bus drivers who are getting you safely to and from your games. And it's really can be challenging until you start to think about how many moving pieces it takes for you to step on the field. And maybe you're a travel player right now and you're in high school or middle school and have you thought about the fact that your parents have to get up and get you to the game? Sometimes it's a 30-minute game away. Sometimes it's hours away or it's a plane ride away. Sometimes your brother and sisters have to take you, right? Or your brothers and sisters don't get to do something because you're doing this thing. Right. I think of an example from the book that my team, I, I guarantee if you ask one of my uh, high school team members what's Coach Gooey's favorite story, they would say, who packs your parachute? And I got it from this chapter of this book. And it's been something that uh, we've rallied around this idea of who packs your parachute to help get that perspective we talked about earlier of gratitude, understanding all the people that get you there today. It's an easy way to quickly get a reference point of, yeah, it's not all about me because that's short-sighted. So the story is about Captain Charlie Plum, who was a decorated fire pi fighter pilot, and he was shot down by enemy fire. Uh, then he was captured. And years later, he was approached by someone in a restaurant while he was having uh, a meal with his wife. And the man that he didn't recognize was very excited to see him. And he said, you're Captain Charlie Plum. And Captain Charlie Plum looked at him and said, oh, yeah, I am. Who are you? And as it turns out, the gentleman who approached him was someone who worked below deck. And Captain Charlie Plum, being a fighter pilot, having this idea that I'm really important, didn't spend a lot of time below deck or engaging with people below deck or spreading that positive vitamin C with people below deck. And the gentleman that he met said, I packed your parachute. You would be here today if it wasn't for me. And when Captain Charlie Plum tells the story, it hits him like a ton of bricks and he realizes, wow, I may have walked by this person hundreds of times and others that 
kept me safe, fed me, helped me along the way. And there was this person daily checking every seam and fold and string in my parachute that got me to that breakfast table. So that simple concept of who packs your parachute is a great reference point when you're trying to get that broader view of what you got you there today. And again, go back to that idea of fight or flight versus creativity and the zone, your performance zone, that gratitude, that happiness, that joy that you feel when you start to have gratitude for people who have done things for you and get that perspective puts you selfishly, or you could use this to your advantage in a better place actually to perform. And having that responsibility helps you show up and say, wow, my parents gave up a lot to get me here today. My coach gave something up to get here today. Our athletic facilities, people gave up a lot to get us here today and they worked hard and we're doing this for other people. Jeff Jansen closes out this chapter by talking about using the golden rule. And we've heard the golden rule treat others the way you wanna be treated. And I think that really applies to everyone. So again, treat your coach the way you wanna be treated. Treat your teammates the way you wanna be treated. Treat the water girl on the sideline, treat the guy mowing your field, treat the lady cleaning your locker room the way you would want to be treated. But even more than that, I prefer the platinum rule, which is don't treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way they want to be treated. So I love that idea, coach, of the platinum rule because it takes it to the next level of I'm not just going to be nice. I'm going to stop, get to know people, get to know my teammates, get to know my coach. Maybe your coach is having a tough year and you didn't understand why they were short with you. Well, get to know what's going on. Ask them how they're doing. Show that you care and uh, serve your teammates, serve the people around you. And what you may not understand at your age right now as an athlete on how much this will pay off, we can tell you everything about your athletics journey will be better if you can give instead of get. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that we close it off with that idea of treating others the way they want to be treated. That's what we've got for our second week of the Leadership Academy 2020, where we are diving into the teammates accountability manual. We will link the accountability manual by Jeff Jansen in the link below. So make sure you guys go check that out. You can get the book on Amazon, do it with a teammate, do it by yourself. But this is a great opportunity for you to grow as a teammate, as a leader within your team, your school, your family, and really just learn how to develop as a person and use sports as an avenue to do so. So thank you guys for joining us on the Athlete's Edge. Can't wait to talk to you again next week.